The Blaze Radio Network. On demand. Irishman stands with America. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. Hello, America. Thank you so much for tuning in today and joining me. This is the Freedom's Disciple podcast. I am your host, Jonathan Dunn. This, of course, is the show exclusive to the Blaze where you come for the accent, but you stay for the principles. I hope you're having a wonderful and blessed Easter. Uh, If it's Easter Saturday or Easter Sunday when you're listening to this, I hope you're having some family time. I hope you're enjoying a few days off, maybe from work. I hope you're you're enjoying some chocolate, some food, or what if you gave up stuff for Lent. We have a a different show for you today. You know, it's I told you last week I was planning a special show because it's Easter Saturday and Easter Sunday and or during the week when you're listening to this, and I kind of figure it's not the time you want to hear about the day-to-day grind of all the stuff, and there's plenty of things we could discuss. We could discuss that horrific bill that was passed last week by Congress where it's now spending more than under President Obama. We could talk about what's going on in foreign policy land where a lot of embassies are or consulates are kicking Russians out of their country. This has happened because of the attacks in Salisbury in the United Kingdom. This isn't going to end well. I'm not saying you shouldn't do this, but standing up to Putin, you have to understand is going to come with consequences. You also have developments in North Korea, but that's for another show. We'll talk about that next week when when business is back to normal. Today I want to take the show in a very different direction. I want to talk to you I want to talk to you and ask you some questions about life, just life in general. I want to talk to you about some of your history. And then what I also want to do is at the end of this show, I want to share one of my favorite stories from your history. Something that might just give you some something to reflect on. And this is it's part of the reason why I love your country so much. And if you want a bit of a spoiler alert, it's called the Battle of Trenton. So that'll be later on in the show. And maybe we'll just do this more in the future where we actually share his stories from history. But I want to start in a place where it's one of the most popular questions or objections I get with what I do. So if, you've, if you're a long-term listener or if you happen to see me speak last year in De- or in around your country where I gave 16 presentations, a lot of people came up to me after them and said, you seem very uncomfortable with winning. You speak out against just winning. Why are you so adverse to winning? This is what America does, John. This is, it's a very American thing to win. Um, let me explain something to you. It's not about winning. I don't have a problem with winning, per se. It's what the focus is. And before people make this about Donald Trump, this is going back prior to Donald Trump. I was part, and it was a very insignificant part, but I was part of the Tea Party. I was part of the Tea Party who made the function of winning the House in 2010. That's what the goal was. It was to win. I was part of the Tea Party in 2014 where it was just you had to get the Senate. It was all about winning. 
It was about defeating Obama. It was about winning. It wasn't about principles to us, a good chunk of people in the Tea Party, as we see the results. It's not about winning. It's about making a statement. It's about standing for something that is eternal. That is the difference between your country and every other country. It's about eternal principles. Because you're not talking, your founders didn't talk about, well, I'm George Washington, and these are my principles. And I'm Thomas Jefferson, and these are my principles. If you read your founders' documents and you read enough of their writings, you clearly see it wasn't their principles. It was eternal principles that are true. But I just want to highlight a couple of stories for you about winning. Because if winning is your goal and be-all and end-all, and you just want to win, what happens is your standards usually drop. And you're just so desperate for a win that you will, you'll change the standards, you'll change the criteria just to get that W. It's, let me give you a sports analogy first of all. If your goal is just to win, then cheat. Cheat. You know, what Tom Brady did a couple of years ago when he was deflating the balls, deflate case. Then that's okay, because he, he got the win, right? It's not about just winning. It's about how you do things. It's about how you act. But also, you have to understand that if you just make it about winning, it becomes very personal. A lot of times, a lot of the great movements in the world had some of the biggest losers, but the outcome won. I want to share some stories with you and just give you some examples of what I'm talking about not going to force religion on you or I'm not trying to convert you here, but it's Easter. You know, if you look at Jesus's life, you could say the guy was the biggest loser of all time. What did he do? He was born. He had to run from Herod for a large chunk of his life, had to move from place to place. Then, you know, went out and started teaching parables and people, you know, doing miracles and people said, no, 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 you can't do that here. You know, move on to the next town. He got rejected, he got spit on, he got hated, and then ultimately, you know, paid for the ultimate sacrifice by being crucified. You could look at his life in just a very simplistic way and go, wow, what a loser, what a bum, Jesus lost. Did he? Did he lose? Now, if you're a Christian, the answer, I hope, is no, he didn't, he actually won. Why? Because of the story of his life and what happened afterwards and, and what comes and what's happened over the last 2,000 years. But that's just one example. Let me give you another example. Each and every week, there's a certain team running through this show. I don't know whether you all catch up on it, but there's always a certain team, and I always try and present things in a certain way. I try and talk things not true to get people elected. I try and focus in on the principles and explain the principles behind the stories. I try and highlight why your idea is exceptional. And I also finish the show by saluting your, um, your people in your police, your firefighters, your emergency personnel, and your vets. If you look at some of those vets, let's just focus in on the, the military for a few minutes. Can many people in the military say they have won? In, in a very human sense. You look at the men and women who've died, fought and died for your country. Did they win? Well, no, they, they went off to war and they died. They paid the ultimate sacrifice. They lost. The win came from 
seeing something bigger, having a sense of purpose, having a sense of mission. It wasn't about them. It was about the mission. It wasn't about them. It was about protecting their brother to the left of them and their brother to the right of them. It was about doing what is morally right. But if we look at a lot of your military, did they win? No. They didn't win individually, but their movement was good. It was just, it was right. And then that is how the win came. It wasn't a win at any cost. It was doing what was morally right. But even looking at some of those who survived, who've come back with limbs missing, with body parts missing, with not fully right in the head because they've had they've seen some of the most horrific barbaric situations that no human should ever have to witness they're not they're not fully it, it's they wouldn't be right if they came back and they were normal it's just not normal to see and to understand and to live that life and expect to be totally 100% normal like we would be every day it's just not you can the brain doesn't work that way They have seen things, they have witnessed things, they've experienced things people like me and you never have. Did they lose or did they win? But let me go one step further. Let me go back into your history. And let me show why this is quintessentially an American principle. Two stories. Back in 1776... A group of people who were rich, who were the millionaires and billionaires of the day, who were the bourgeoisie, the the greedy capitalists, decided to meet. They decided to meet because they were outraged that they were taxed too much. They were outraged that they didn't have representation, that their government didn't listen to them, that their government was infringing on their rights. And these 56 people decided to write a manifesto, a document, shall we say, outlining their grievances and what they were going to do. These 56 people were the original signers of the Declaration of Independence. Were they winners or losers? Because we can look at a lot of their lives and say they lost If you read the history on some of the signers of the Declaration of Independence, the men and women who put their signature on a document that wasn't just a Declaration of Independence, because underneath the carbon copy of the Declaration of Independence, it was as good as signing your own debt warrant. Nine of the signers died of wounds received fighting during the Revolutionary War. Did those nine win or lose? Five of them were captured or imprisoned. A good chunk of the signers had bad things happen to their wives and their children. Some were imprisoned. Some were killed. Some were mistreated. And some, some were left without any money, without any hope, without any future. Did those signers lose? Twelve of the signers, we're told, had their houses burnt to the ground. Did they lose? Seventeen of the signers lost everything. They lost all their property. They lost all their possessions. They lost any power they had in society. They lost absolutely everything. Did they lose? Seventeen. 
If we focus on winning and losing, it's not a problem with winning. It's a problem with what your definition of winning is and what is your criteria. If we make winning and losing about our personal selves, we will do anything. If winning and losing is only about an election, it means nothing. If it's only about an income, it means nothing. America is a country that was built on eternal principles. You want to know how this is, I can prove to you factually this is true? Those 56 people who signed your amazing declaration of independence, who effectively signed their own debt warrant, when they saw what was happening, when they started, and we'll go through this with the Battle of Trenton later on in this show. There's a reason I picked the Battle of Trenton to tell you about today. But when they saw what was happening, just think about it. Do you ever think about your, how, you, how your signers must have felt? How your families must have felt of those signers? Here you are, you're just a, a group of uneducated, un, untrained, unarmed farmers, basically. People. And you're going to go against the army superpower of the day. Who are well-trained, well-funded, well-armed, well-trained, well-versed in military tactics. A lot of your people didn't. You go against them. It was suicide. It was it was climbing Mount Everest before someone climbed Mount Everest. It was the impossible feat of the day. You know, you get laughed at today if you t- dare talk about principles. Oh, there you go. There's you're talking about principles. Can you imagine what you must have felt in society? There's that idiot. He signed the Declaration of Independence. He signed his own. De- he thinks he 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 really thinks they can beat Britain, the Redcoats, the Hessians. And then fast forward when they actually start getting into battle and they lose. And to quote your president, they lose bigly. Bigly they lose. They lose. Can you imagine what they must have felt as they as they saw their, their they, they they and they heard the reports of them them engaging the British and all that happened was they lost and then they had to retreat and then they'd engaged them somewhere else and then they lost and retreated. Can you imagine at some point some of them must have said, What have I done? What how, how stupid am I? I am we are gonna lose everything. This is just not going well. And then as people started losing their lives, as people lost, though some of the signers lost their lives in the battle, in the war, they must have thought, wow, what's going to happen? Then as their properties are losing, they're being looted, as their wives are being imprisoned, they must have had a lot of doubts kind of going, what is going to happen? We're gonna lo- I'm going to lose so much. Man, if only I didn't sign it. You want to know I'm getting to a bigger point. You want to know how I know this is enshrined in your culture. Because of those 56 brave people who signed your Declaration of Independence, question for you, how many defected? How many went, you know what, I know I signed a document that pledged my life, my fortune and my sacred honor. I know I did, but I just need to protect my family. I know I signed that document and I signed it in effect in blood at the opportunity, maybe not for my generation, but for future generations. 
to have a hope, to have an opportunity at freedom. I know I signed that and I made that promise and that commitment, but I've lost everything. I, I need to get my money. I need to put food on the table. I know I did, I signed that document in blood, but we're losing. It's time to retreat. It's time to give up. It's t- we just cannot win. We cannot do it. I just, I, I, I have no hope. How many defected? Let me do the maths for you. Let's carry the one. You know, cross it over. Zero. Zero defected. Those 56 men who signed the Declaration of Independence, zero defected. Why? Because in that document, it said, I pledge to my... to each of you my life my fortune and my sacred honor honor is sacred it was the only word that your founders said needed a bit of oomph they knew life was important they knew life was precious they made it the first right from god from their creator we knew fortunes was important because the people who met who signed the declaration of independence weren't poor They were the bourgeoisie of the day, the greedy capitalists, the millionaires and billionaires. Whatever adjective you want to use from modern day language to put in of someone who you hate, the elite. These 56 people were the elite. But they have said only one word is so critical. It needs that bit of oomph to show it, to highlight it. That honor is sacred. That is why you had zero defectors. That's exhibit one of why principles are so critical. Exhibit two is a phrase that is still in your culture today. Because while you had zero defectors of the 56 men and women who signed the Declaration of Independence, you did have one famous one that is still in your culture today. It is called being a Benedict Arnold. Why is that in your culture ingrained even to this day? It is ingrained in your culture because your founders were men and women of honor. Men and women who saw the bigger picture. Who wasn't just about winning an election. Who wasn't just about winning, but about doing something that was morally and eternally true. And they found Benedict Arnold so treatment. And his, the way he acted. And then escaping and becoming a British Hessian. They found that so morally repugnant, so disgusting, that it became part of your culture. Don't be a Benedict Benedict Arnold. Don't be a Benedict Arnold. Don't be one of them. It was ingrained in your culture. Look, I want to win as much as the next guy, but I don't want to win elections. Elections would be nice if they actually did something. Elections, to win elections, would it be nice? Sure. Would it be nice if you had a load of people in D.C.? And I'm not naming a party. I'm not saying Democrats or Republicans or or Donald Trump or Ted Cruz or Paul Ryan. I'm not saying anyone. Wouldn't it be nice to have a set of people in D.C. who won elections and actually stood for the principles that they said they were going to do? That actually woke up and realized, you know what? D.C. is not the answer. D.C. is the problem. Who actually stood, who actually, you know what, let's forget about, let's not make this about politics. Let me make this about something very simple. How refreshing would it be, you know, if we had people in D.C. who every two years put their hand on a Bible saying, I swear to preserve, defend and protect the Constitution of the United States. And actually understood firstly what was in the Constitution of the United States and actually followed the Constitution of the United States.
How refreshing would that be? Who actually understood, you know, separation of powers, checks and balances, different roles and different functions for each part of the government. That government, the federal government has certain numerated powers and everything else is left up to the states. How refreshing would it be if people actually stood and actually followed their oath that they take on a Bible every two years? How refreshing would that be? Or every four years if you're president, or every six years if you're a senator. How refreshing would that be? Would that be nice? Absolutely. I would cheer if that happened all the day long. If you actually had a Congress and a presidency that was actually about the free market. Would be wonderful. Would be if they were about reducing the size of government. Not growing major debt. It would be wonderful. I don't know whether that happens or not. I don't know. That's up to you, your people, and who you vote for and who you elect. And you've got another chance in 2018. But until then, my job is not to be a cheerleader for any of them. I am not here to cheerlead any individual. There are plenty of shows if you want Democratic cheerleaders, if you want Donald Trump cheerleaders, if you want Republican cheerleaders, if you want Tea Party cheerleaders. There are plenty of shows out there, even some on this network, which highlight different candidates. There are plenty of shows. That's not what this is. We This show is about principles. And regardless of how popular they are or unpopular they are, this show will stand for them. Because I truly believe in the idea of America. I am inspired every day to keep standing because of your founding fathers. Because they did. They signed their debt warrant. I haven't signed my debt warrant. Sure, I've had consequences of what I've done, but I haven't signed my own debt warrant. Like your founders did. Because they wanted an opportunity to be free. And even if they understood that they may never see that freedom, their kids, their grandkids, future generations may see that freedom. And you did. I can't ask you or I can't plead with you what path you choose, what way you want to live your life. But I hope some of you and spread and install in future generations the path and the mission of your founders. Where they risked everything for a bigger ideal. Where we still remember them 240 years later. And we'll remember them 340 years later unless we stop teaching history. They were great men and women. Men and women who stood and paid the ultimate price. And yes, lost personally. But because they were aimed and focused on a bigger, bigger picture. Don't go anywhere, America. We'll be right back. You're listening to Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. The Glenn Beck Program. Every dictator, the first thing they do is take up all of the guns. There's no logic to the left's debate now. If you really listen to them, Donald Trump is a dictator. Let's surrender all of our guns. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. If you're afraid he's a dictator, the last thing you do is give up your right to be able to overthrow a dictatorial government. So they'll say he's a dictator, but at the same time, they'll say, well, the revolution's never going to happen here. It's already happening. The Glenn Beck Program.
Disciple On Demand on the Blaze Radio Network. Thank you so much for sticking with me, America. I want to give you something to think about today, if I can. And I would ask you to maybe get a piece of pen and paper at some time over the, you know, this weekend, or if you got a half an hour free, or maybe this week. And just, just ask yourself some questions. First question I'd like you to ask yourself. So I want you to think about your life. And this will be different for everyone. If you're single, the answers will be different. If you're, you know, got a family, young family, or, you know, if your kids have left the house and you've got grandkids, the answers will be different for everyone. What do you think your priorities in life are? What do you focus on? When you sit down and write down what you think your priorities are, or what you'd like them to be, I'd ask you then to write down a list and be very honest with yourself. And look at your life and your everyday life and go, by my actions and my deeds, what do I act like my priorities are? What are my actual priorities? And look at the difference between the two lists. The only way we grow, the only way we get better in life is by having hard conversations with ourselves and with each other. When you write this list down, I ask you to write down a third list. And the list is, what do you get emotional about? What do you get worried about? What do you have hope about? Just pure emotions. A lot of people's list will be what they worry about. Some might be, their worry might be, you know, my kids' education, my kids at school, my kids on social media. You know, you might be worried that, you know, if, if some un, uh, something unexpected happens, you're not in a position to pay for it. When you do this list, it take, should take a few minutes, depending on how much depth you want to go into. But the first thing I'd ask you to do is analyze what your your priorities, you want them to be, what your words are. So if that's, you know, your faith, your, you want to lose weight, you want to get in better shape, you want to be, you know, in financial better health, or you want to be a better partner or a better kid, you know, son or daughter, whatever it is. Compare and contrast that to what you actually are. And that will be a roadmap to see how successful, where you need to grow, where you need to get better. The second thing I want you to do and this is kind of morbid, but it's something that can just get rid of a load of crap. Imagine if imagine if you go to bed tonight and you have a dream in the vision. And let's say you think it's absolutely 100% true. And you think the world is going to end in 72 hours. You have three days to live. I would ask you to look at your lists again and ask you what you would prioritize. What is truly important to you? If you found out you had 72 hours to live, or if that's too short, because people might say, well, if I find out I have 72 hours to live, John, I'm just, I'm going to Vegas and I'm putting it all on black. Okay. So maybe to avoid that, maybe go for a month. Pick, pick your own time frame. Do you have a certain amount of time to live? Because the truth about life is, we all act in so many ways, and I know I do, that you kind of always think you have 
an indefinite indefinite amount of time. You know, I'm in my I'm in my mid thirties. You know, by biological and average standards, I have forty five I don't actually I don't even know what the average age of men is these days. Did I say man? Sorry, I I yeah, I don't know I don't know. I might be eighty, eighty five. So I might have another 45, maybe 50 years. And then if you kind of go, well, John, you're a bit of a bigger guy. You're not going to have the average. Okay, well, let's say 70. I have another 35 years left to live. But that's not guaranteed. I could go out today after recording this show and get hit by a car. Could have a heart attack. Anything could happen. I could just fall asleep and just never wake up. We're not guaranteed anything. Yet so many of us act like we do. Whether that's in our in our life where we're like we don't we just put stuff off, where we procrastinate, where we go, I'll get that to tomorrow. I'll do that next week. I'll do that next month. By the way, I'm the biggest culprit of this as well. I do this as well. But I want you to focus in on what would you prioritize? And then last list I'd ask you to make is the stuff you wouldn't prioritize. If you were going to, the world was going to end in 72 hours or a month or whatever time frame you pick. Look at it and kind of go, why do I prioritize this now, but I wouldn't if the world was going to end? The reason I ask this is because I'm noticing a large set of people online who act, I don't know whether this is their actual priority, but act like they just get some type of kick and their priority is kicking the other side. I had so many discussions over the last week with people over different issues. The budget was a big one. And people were going, look, look, you know, what would the Democrats do? And I'm like, really? I have some Democratic friends and they're like, all of a sudden, the de- my Democratic friends are all of a sudden becoming constitutional scholars, which is interesting because for the last eight years, I spoke to them about the Constitution and they didn't either care, didn't want to know, or just weren't flat out interested. They didn't see Obama as a problem. But they just, both sides love to beat each other up. Or both sides love pointing out each other's faults. They seem to prioritize that. I wonder if they if they actually sat down and did a list and kind of went, you know what, I have 72 hours left to live. Would I prioritize it? I'm sure some would because they're just so addicted to, ha I got them with that. See this meme? <laughs> that points out their hypocrisy. I'm sure some would. But I want to lead this into another question for you. You can make this about the founding fathers we just spoke about, or you can make this about a saint if you're religious. You can make this about Jesus since it's Easter. You can make this about anyone. I want you to picture someone in your head who you admire, whether they're a hero, whether they're a saint, whether they're really religious. Picture someone who's really, really important to you, who you really admire, who you look up to. I'll play along with you. I've made no secret. One of my favorite founding father is George Washington. For me, George Washington is the, the greatest man who ever lived. And I don't, for clarifications, I don't consider Jesus a man. That's why I can consider George Washington the best. If we do consider Jesus a man, then George Washington slips to number two. Why is George Washington 
a hero in my eyes? Why is your hero a hero in your eyes? Maybe some of the answers you might guess are because they understood the bigger picture. They understood their mission, their purpose. It's one way why I'm so jealous of so many of the, the veterans, or not actually not the veterans, the people who serve, because they have that sense of mission. One of the problems that veterans have is when they don't have that sense of mission, what happens? Their, their life has no structure, has no order. But when they have that sense of mission, that sense of purpose, that sense of, you know what, if I, let my, if I don't do my stuff, it's going to hurt what people do in other people's stuff. They're part of a unit. They're part of a forward-thinking unit. And they all have to pull their weight. When I think of George Washington, I think of someone who always strived to do the right thing. When I think of George Washington, I think of a man who wasn't all about him, but was always about the bigger picture. There are so many stories I could share about this. One of my favorite George Washington stories, if I can have a sidebar for a minute, to show you the man he was. And it's, it's a story which I, I will admit I've added the emotion to it. And I, I, I'm, maybe I've got the meaning of this story all wrong. We'll never know until we get to heaven and I get to meet him and I'll ask him, maybe. That would be fun, wouldn't it? Get to heaven and meet George Washington. <laughs> but one of the stories that always emphasizes in my mind of how great a man he was, was he knew his role, he knew his purpose, but he wasn't about him. It wasn't about, hey, look at me, I'm George Washington. Hey, I'm, I'm the leader of the Continental Army. Look at me, baby, I'm George Washington. Do you know who I am? One of my favorite stories is after the revolution is won, George Washington goes home. And everyone's meeting in Philadelphia and they're having the, con- the, the, the convention. And they're all trying to you know, get the constitution in order. And it's breaking down rather rapidly. No one can agree on anything. And they send for George Washington. We need that calming presence. And this man rides and goes to George Washington and knocks on his door. And it's General Washington, we need you. The the convention is falling apart. You must come quickly. And his first response is, my God, what more does my country demand of me? You know, think of politicians today on all sides. Would their reaction, if, if they were called upon, would that be their reaction? Their reaction, oh my God, what more does my country demand of me? Or would it be, yeah, of course you need me. You know I'm George Washington. Of course, the, the idea you could get through a constitutional convention without General George Washington was ludicrous. Of course you need me. Now, I just happen to have these cameras ready and we're just going to do a few interviews and then I'll come with you and we, you know, I'll shake your hand and we'll all have smiles. And I, I just happen to be, I know it's in the middle of the night, I just happen to be wearing this suit because I knew you were coming. That's what politicians today would do. It would be all on, you know, it would be trending. You know, actually, in, in fairness, if we were to be accurate, what would actually happen is you'd have George Washington on Twitter going, uh, you know, Philadelphia needs Washington. You know, the convention needs Washington. Call me up, baby. That's what actually would happen with these politicians and these hashtags. But that is why I admire him. His focus was always about the bigger picture. 
When you think of someone, because that's my, that's my hero. Your hero might be someone else. Why are they a hero or a saint to you? Why are they someone you, you prioritize or, or admire in your history? Was it something they did? Was it the way they acted? Was it just one event? Was it just one event that they just did something really, really great? And we just don't focus. Like a prime example of this potentially be Jimmo Captain Sully. Captain Sully is a hero. Um, he was the guy who, what, what was the airline? Was it United that f- landed in the Hudson? Captain Sully. Incredible hero. He's a hero because of one big, huge event. A major crisis happened on his plane and he needed to, to land. And by God, I never thought you could land a plane on water. I always thought if you landed on water, you're going to kind of break up into 10,000 pieces and you're all going to surely die. But he landed that down and smooth and the guy's a hero. How many people owe their lives to him? He was so calm and cool under pressure. But when you look at maybe other heroes, it might be a lot of small things. George Washington, in my eyes, did a lot of small things really well. He lived his life. People like Martin Luther King, they lived their lives the right way. Then I'd ask you a question. What was expected of them? What was expected of them? And did they act the way they were expected to? Did they act, if they're a hero or a saint, they're obviously in the public eye in some way, shape, or form. Did they always act in a certain way. But you know what? Gets what is the funny thing I find about heroes. Who are heroes for a, main, a period of time. Is they are usually the people. Who are willing to do what is right. Regardless of the personal consequences. They are willing to do what is right. Regardless of the personal consequences. How many of us are willing to do that? How many of us are willing to do what is right, regardless of even if it screws us? Because freedom isn't this come by our moment where, you know, if we just embrace freedom, because I've had people say this to me, John, you speak about freedom so much, and free, you make sound freedom so good. I'm like, well, freedom sucks sometimes. Freedom, the outcome of freedom really sucks. People will do really bad things and really stupid things, but it's the outcome of freedom. At least they have that freedom of opportunity to do it, to pursue what their happiness is. There are a lot of things I like, I see in society. I think that's just wrong. I think it's 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 not advisable. It's not smart. But people have that right. I don't have a right to control them. Freedom is not some come by all. If we just all embrace freedom, everything is just going to be rosy and everyone's going to live happy ever after and we'll, we'll be in the, in the grass picking fairies, uh, or not fairy, daisies, and we'll be you know, singing, come by all, my lord. It doesn't work that way. It's about doing what is right. Sometimes freedom sucks. Sometimes doing what is right sucks. But if we have our eyes on the bigger picture, again, like your founding fathers did, let's make bring this back to where we started. Your founding fathers in 1776. Their outcomes, a lot of them sucked. But they saw a sense of mission, a sense of purpose. That is why they are heroes to me. That is why the 56 signers were heroes to me. 
you know, there's an awful question question that's always asked. What's the difference between a hero and a martyr? Sometimes a martyr is... Obviously, this word has been um, misunderstood because of Islam over that couple of years where, you know, people think Islam, you know, Islamic people who commit suicide and do horrific acts are martyrs and they have martyrdom. But the difference between a hero and a martyr in my eyes is this. A martyr will go out and potentially look for his own death or their death to highlight a cause. A hero doesn't do that. A hero doesn't look to die. A hero is just willing to do all he can, despite the risks, and accept that maybe one of the possible outcomes of the, all the possible outcomes of their actions will be, one of them may be death, one of them may be winning, one of them may be compromise, but one of them, death is an option. I'd ask you to think this weekend, especially this weekend as it's Easter, just think of who your heroes are. And try maybe to be more like that hero each and every day. And the great thing about your history compared to my history is when I look at Irish history, and I'm no scholar on Irish history, but there isn't a lot of people I can go, I want to be just like them. I look at American history, and and as a Christian I say this, my God, if Christians were just like Ben Franklin, Ben Franklin wasn't a Christian. But you read some of his speeches where he calls for prayer in Congress, where he clearly sees there's a bigger picture. If we had Christians like Ben Franklin, how great would we be? If we had smart men like Thomas Jefferson and James Madison, if we all acted more like them, how great would we be? If we all had the honor and the integrity of George Washington, how great would we be? If we all had the the, the, the courage to stand up to our own side like John Adams did prior to the revolution, where in his hometown, British troops opened fire, and he was a man of legal integrity, said they still need to be defended. They have a right to a fair trial. They have a right to a lawyer. If we had half of the dignity, the honor, and the courage and the morals of your founding fathers, our world would be a better nation. But we need to hold them up and say, were they perfect? No. But these attributes were, and they are worth following. They are worth advancing. They are worth admiring and saying, these men, were they perfect? No, they had their flaws. But these men are someone who we still to this day Oh, a debt of gratitude to. Because if it wasn't for their sacrifice, if it wasn't for their sacred honor, if it wasn't for them doing the right thing, your country wouldn't exist. Chances are you wouldn't exist as you know it. And I can sure as hell tell you this way, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today if they didn't have that honor. That's how much of an impact your founding fathers had. Let us never forget it. And let us be inspired by them to act like them for future generations and if you have an ego and you need this then let me just say this to you let us act like them in the hope that 240 years in the future someone will be talking about our generation about how great we were about how honorable we were about how we faced the odds we looked 
tyranny dead in the eye. And because we were willing to sacrifice absolutely everything, we were willing to pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor, that we rolled back the tide of tyranny once more. And that future generations were freer because of our sacrifices, because of our sacrifices, because of our willing to risk it all for a brighter and safer and more prosperous tomorrow. Don't go anywhere, America. We'll be right back. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. Freedom's Disciple On Demand on the Blaze Radio Network. Thank you so much for sticking with me, America. I'd ask you to sit down, put your feet up. This is going to take no thinking. I want to share a story with you. I think it's fitting that some people are still hurting. It's Easter. Let's not talk politics. I want to share a story with you. And it's from a famous battle from the Revolution. It's called the Battle of Trenton. And to share this story and how important this battle actually was in your revolution, you have to sort of share a bit of history. So before this battle, I want to give you the lead up to what caused the Battle of Trenton and why it was so significant. And what I would ask you to do is I would ask you to think of yourself as a private in in under George Washington, a private in the revolution. And I'm going to try and describe the best I can the situation they found themselves in. So it's March 1776, and patriots under George Washington are fighting, and they have secured the the hilly tops of Bunker and Breed's Hill in Boston. And they're hitting both Boston and Boston Harbor with daily assaults from their cannons. At the time, it was going to be a big defeat for the British, so that General Lord William Howe evacuated about 9,000 British troops with all their supplies, and they had 100 ships. And they all evacuated Boston Harbor. And the thinking of the day was that this General Howe is going to take these ships and they're going to go to Halifax, Nova Scotia. And after they all left, as you can imagine, been a big victory and all the Boston people are celebrating. They're happy, they're drinking, they're merry, they're dancing. You know, we've just got a victory. Yeah, we've beaten the Hessians. Yeah. One man wasn't celebrating. That man was General George Washington. Because he was looking at what was going to happen next. One just doesn't defeat the Hessians and drive them from Boston and not have a consequence or a follow-up action. Where are they going? Where are those hundred ships heading to? And he looked at his maps and he said, going to Halifax will be a tactical error. It would be a mistake. And as everyone else is celebrating, as dancing and drinking and been merry, General George Washington is looking at his maps going, I think he's going to go to New York. He was looking at the situation and saying, if, if we lose New York and New York's seaport, the revolution will have major problems. It will be set back even further. So instead of dancing and partying, which everyone else was doing, He rushed his troops. 
He rushed his troops to get from Boston to New York as quickly as possible and to lay the groundworks and to lay the foundation for the coming invasion. He digged entrenchments to ensure that they had security, that they could fight the Hessians. Well, fast forward a couple of months to the start of August in 1776 and all of a sudden in Long Island, the Brits appear. Their 9,000 troops, their 100 ships, they appear. They're angry. They're annoyed. They've just been humiliated a couple of months ago in Boston. They want revenge. You don't just go against the Hessians. You're taking on the empire. The empire strikes back. Well, it goes to Long Island. And what happens in Long Island? Well, it's quick. It's bloody and it's merciless. It leads in the Continental Army to being defeated and having to fall back. They retreat to Brooklyn Heights. Now, while they're retreating, there's action, rearguard action in places like Delaware and Maryland, which gives them time to retreat and get back to safely into Brooklyn Heights. But sadly, it doesn't go there. They have to retreat from Brooklyn Heights. They get to a point where at dusk they get to the East River. And they sail to Manhattan Island. So when the Redcoats finally get to Brooklyn Heights, it's empty. There's no one there. What happens is there is battles. Because General George Washington, they retreated and left Brooklyn Heights. They left both Fort Washington, which was on the New York shore, and Fort Lee on the Hudson side, on the Hudson River on the New Jersey side. They're left to fend, and they both fall quickly to the Hessians. They lose about 2,500 men, and they lose a lot of valuable supplies. George Washington's thinking, looking at the maps and looking at everything and talking to his generals, And everything has begun so bad so quickly after that great win in Boston. That he's thinking of it from General Howe's point of view. Where would you go next? He comes to the conclusion that the next target of the Hessians is going to be Philadelphia. Philadelphia, the home of the Continental Congress. The home of the revolution. And it becomes a race to get there first. Now it's November 12th in 1776 there are 3,000 men in New Jersey there is 10,000 British who are following them they are trying to get to Philadelphia first it is a race there's no rest it's constant engagement constant travel it's just some of the conditions that your revolutionary continental army was facing They were low on supplies. The food was very dull and bland. They were cold. There was heavy rain at this time. They were wet. Some of them were sick. Some of them had lost equipment. They didn't have muskets. Not every one of them had guns. They didn't have the right equipment. They didn't have the right training. Some of them didn't even have shoes and socks. It's cold, it's wet, and you don't even have a pair of shoes and socks. You're hurt. 
You've seen some of your friends die. You may have even some been there with some family members and seen them die or see them captured. You've had defeat after defeat. You're tired. Desertion starts kicking in. People are going, you know what the hell with this? I'm done. I did my bit. We tried. We lost. It's time to go home. And that just hurts morale even more. Fast forward a whole month of travel, of tiredness, of being cold, of being wet, of being miserable. On December 8, 1776, they get to the Delaware River. And they board the boats. They decide to board the boats and whatever they need and they destroy every other boat. And they escape. And after they get across the river, instead of continuing on, they stop and George Washington tells them to look at the enemy. Let's see what they're going to do next. Well, now the British are looking at them. And they're like, it's December. It's December. We've given these boys a good whooping. Why should we risk crossing the Delaware River? Because the Delaware River had snow. It was snowing at this time. The Delaware River had large chunks of ice. So why should we risk crossing this river? We just wait them out. Why bother? They're tired. They're hungry. They don't have the right clothes. It's now starting to snow. Why should we bother risking our lives crossing the river? If we just wait them out, because we have hot food, we have rum, we can survive this. We're a well-trained army. If we just wait them out, we'll wait out this cold weather, this horrible weather. And when we get over there, anybody that's left, they'll either be dead, they'll be malnourished, or they'll be just so demoralized and so weak and tired that we'll just run them over and the revolution is dead. Fast forward to a pamphlet you've all heard about. You've all heard of Thomas Paine. Well, Thomas Paine had signed up to join Washington's army as a volunteer. And he wrote the most powerful words maybe any man has ever written. Words that changed the revolution. You've heard these words before. The words that still should have meaning today. These are the times that try men's souls. The summer soldier and the sunshine patriot will in this crisis shrink from the service of his country. But he who stands now deserves the love and thanks of man and woman. Tyranny like hell is not easily conquered. Yet we have this consolation with us, that the harder the conflict, the more glorious the triumph. Washington was very impressed by these words. He was inspired by these words, and he ordered it to be read at every regiment. But still, the facts remain. You're going against the British. You're cold, you're wet, and you don't have equipment. They're just waiting you out. But as this waiting game continued, Washington had another problem. And maybe, arguably, the biggest problem he might have faced You see, the problem he had back then in December 1776 was on New Year's Day, a big turning point could have happened in the Revolutionary War. That turning point would not have been good for the Continental Army. That turning point was on New Year's Day of 1777, the enlistments of many men were going to run out. 
And because they were tired, they were weak, they were demoralized, they were sick. They had no shoes, they had no socks. He knew a large chunk of men would leave. And if they left, the revolution was over. So he met with his council of war. He said, we have to do something. Let us think about plans. Let us find a way to fix this. Let us find a way to continue the revolution. And they made plans. And they were daring plans. The plan was this. They were going to cross the river Trenton and attack Trenton. They were going to cross the river on Christmas night. They would then advance onto Trenton and hopefully win. They were so determined that this was the outcome, that their passwords for this battle was victory or death. So Christmas night, I would ask you just to think of the battles that all those brave men had to face just to cross that river. Cross the river that had filled with ice. It might seem like a simple thing in in 2018 where, you know, you just have to cross a river and yeah, it has ice. But the situation was so much more perilous for George Washington and his men. Because you see, each boat had to have troops, had to have horses, and had to carry cannons that probably weighed a couple of hundred pounds. One bad move, and there was a chance the boat might capsized. One bad move, and you might lose a cannon. One wrong move, and if the boat capsized, the, ri- the river is filled with ice. You would literally die from hypothermia in seconds. One false move and the revolution is over before it's even started. This battle is over before it even starts. But they successfully crossed the river. It was a lot longer and it took them a lot longer than they anticipated and they were behind schedule. But then even when they got past that icy cold river, there was another battle to get to before we get to the battle of trenton and that battle was there was nine miles to cover which was hard think of pulling a cannon or pushing a cannon that weighs a couple of hundred pounds think of the wet grounds it's not like they had roads and bridges like we have today it was cold. It was miserable. You're pulling this cannon that weighs a couple of hundred pounds. The ground is wet. There's mud. It's not easy. You're tired. You're weak. But because they had that victory or debt mentality, they pushed on. And they got to Trenton. And then George Washington decides to, to split his men, his team in half. And half go the lower road and half go the upper road. Now it's 8 a.m. on what we call Stevens' morning. Or over here some people call it Boxing Day. And the English are drunk. The English have been partying. The English looked at that, that river and looked at the weather and there is no chance anyone is coming over. It would be suicide. It would be crazy. But... George Washington had divine providence on his side. George Washington had the courage to do what other people thought was crazy. George Washington 
had the courage and his men had the courage to follow him. That is the respect George Washington had. So the British troops wake up on Stevens' morning to gunfire. They are drunk. They are tired. They come out of their houses. It's snowing. It's muddy. And they cannot form their ranks. Their colonel, Colonel Ral, gets out and gets on his horse. But eventually he is shot. And when he is shot, because it's so cold, because they're drunk, because they're tired, because they've been partying the night before, because they can't form ranks, because their leader has died, the Hessians give up. When you look at the final stats from that battle, that battle of Trenton, you see that about 200 Hessians escaped. But 106 were shot dead. And they got 886 prisoners. They went into that battle with a two-fold attack. They went in with their muskets. And when people tried to escape, they had the artillery from the cannons. When you look at those stats, 106 Hessians dead and 886 prisoners. That's incredible. But after the battle, when everything is settled down, George Washington goes to his generals and says i need to give me an account of how many casualties and civilians and how much damage have we sustained and he finds only four u.s troops are hurt it's incredible this battle changes the tide of the american revolution where the troops were once demoralized they were now excited where they were once down they had hope they were still cold they were still wet They were still hurting. But they had that victory or debt mentality. They had that attitude. And because of this great victory at Trenton, when New Year's Day came and it was time for the enlistments to end, a lot of people re-enlisted because they had that new hope. They had that new vigor. They saw a brighter tomorrow. They saw we can beat the British. We can beat the Hessians. It's going to be hard. It's going to be tough. But what I signed up for initially is still worth it. It is still worth the opportunity for a brighter tomorrow. And as we all know, There are many battles to fight, but the end result was America won the American Revolution against the British. You fought them. There are many reasons for that. But you do not have the America that we know today. You do not have the Constitution. You do not have the Bill of Rights. You do not have the memories of George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, John Adams, Ben Franklin, Thomas Madison, or James Madison without the Battle of Trenton. You do not have the idea of America without the Battle of Trenton. I don't have the knowledge I have without the Battle of Trenton. We do not have life today as we know it without the Battle of Trenton. Because if they did not have the Battle of Trenton, if George Washington didn't have that courage and didn't have the respect of his men that they followed him, They would have just, the British would have waited them out. Maybe more would have died. It would have got to New Year's Day and people would have left and maybe the revolution just crumbles and dissipates. And then Britain is still over the United States of America. It wouldn't even be called the United States of America. It hadn't been created yet. 
This battle was so key to your founding. As I share this battle, I would ask you to think back on the questions I asked you earlier on in the show. Why were the heroes who fought in this revolution, what made them great? Why are they heroes? Why? Why do they deserve our respect? Why do we need to continue sharing these stories? I'm not going to give you my answer. I'd ask you to find yours. History is so key. American history, time and time again, is making the impossible possible. It is our job and our duty to ensure that legacy continues. To those who are hurting right now, to those who are upset, let's make the impossible possible once again. We are facing the tide of tyranny. It's growing all around the world. But let us be the generation, like the generation before, the generation before that, the generation before that, and the brave men and women who fought at the Battle of Trenton. Let us follow their example and fight just for that opportunity to have a brighter tomorrow. We'll be back in one second, and I want to share one parable with you that you might enjoy, that will just hopefully bring out all what I've talked about in this show, will bring it full circle. Don't go anywhere, America. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. Don't miss the morning blaze with Doc. You know, I have a, a suggestion for LeBron What's James. Mm-hmm. He might want to get with the rapper from the March for Our Lives. Oh, uh, Vic Mensa. Yeah, yeah knows, Vic Mensa. He knows how to carry a gun illegally. He and does. he found out the mm-hmm. rules and regulation mm-hmm. when carry a gun illegally. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, interesting. So he might want to talk to him because I know they talk. They have a network. They talk. The morning blaze. Weekday morning, 6 to 9 Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. Freedom's Disciple On Demand on the Blaze Radio Network. Thank you so much for sticking with me, America. I hope today's show has... I hope it's been a different show and I hope it's given you new things to think about. And Hopefully, if, if I could wave a magic wand, it's given you an appreciation even more for your country, for your history, for the men and women who really risked it all for a brighter tomorrow. I want to finish up today's show with a very quick parable for you. It's a parable that... I share in many different places at many different times. It's it's something I think is very apt today, and because it's it's Easter and Jesus taught in parables, you know why not share this one today? I'd ask you to close your eyes and imagine yourself at a at a lake, and I'd ask you to imagine yourself picking up a rock. And I want you to pick up that rock, and I want you to throw that rock into that lake or into the sea. And what I want you to do is I want you to visualize the journey of that rock. I want you to visualize the journey of you bending down and and picking up the rock going from, you know, solid grounds around other rocks maybe, up into the air, into your hand, and then been flung through the air, feeling the breeze, maybe feeling some rain, 
warm weather, cold weather, going through the air, and then all of a sudden it hits the, the lake, the pond, the sea, hits that water, and it's a totally different feeling. It's a wet feeling. And then that rock goes and continues its journey as it's now fully surrounded by water and it continues maybe a foot, maybe 10 foot, maybe 100 foot, all the way down to the seabed. If we focus on life just as that rock, look how much we are missing out on. Because what that rock did was as it hit that water, that sea, that ocean, that pond, it created a ripple, which then created another ripple and another ripple and another ripple, which is a thing of beauty, but the rock never sees it, never experiences it. It does not know how much water it affected. If it was only a, a pebble, it was only like a, you know, the size of a quarter and didn't weigh very much, it might only create a ripple or two or three. Never sees it. If it was a big rock that maybe weighed like a pound or two, it might have created ripples for a couple of minutes. Now what I'd ask you to imagine is you're not alone where you are. And I'd ask you to start visualizing, you know, maybe someone to your right and to your left and doing the exact same thing you're doing. Picking up a rock and throwing it into the pond. And they're doing it as well. And just think of all the ripples that's going to create. All the disruption that is going to create to the water. What is the impact on those who see the ripples? Because I'm talking in a parable sense. I'm not just talking about a rock or a piece of water. I'm talking about life. You see, whether we know it or not, or whether we want to appreciate it or not, we are that rock. We are going through life. We are going through the air and then we're going through the water. And a lot of times we don't see the impact that we get to make. In fact, in some ways today we don't even want to make an impact. You know, if we saw or truly saw ourselves as that stone creating that ripple and had that as our mindset to, to make a positive ripple, to influence someone, to inspire them that they can make that ripple. To help people achieve their highest good so that they can make life, their life better, have more meaning, have more mission, have more purpose, but also make the lives of others better by those who they impact. But today, so many people don't want to create ripples. So many people today think, you know what, I can't create a ripple, it's too hard. No, it's not, it's just called, it's called living. Just be the best person you can be. Help people serve people it's a very simple recipe but we've come to the conclusion in so many ways and i don't want to make this about politics but we we look at ourselves and because of the media and the politicians we look at the only solutions to the world is politics we look at the solution that all we can do is help people win elections that they somehow will save us we've bought this myth this lie that politicians will solve things it's us some other people just don't want the hard work. People go, I don't want to get wet in, in, the, in the rock parable. I don't want to get wet. I don't want to get my hands dirty. I don't want to pick up a stone. I don't know where that's been. You know, a cat could have peed on it. No, ooh, God, no. I don't want to do that. That's too much hard work. Other people don't want to do it because there's no reward or no 
It doesn't stroke their ego. Because they never see the work they do. They want, they'd be like, hey, I did this for you. Let me, let me see the ripple. I, I, I'm the rock. I broke the plane of the water. I created this ripple. Now I want to see the ripple. I want to see it. But I also want to see the ripple. But I also want you to tell how great the ripple was. Tell me how great I am. How awesome I am. Just how wonderful. Just tell me. Come on. Feed my ego. Feed me. Tell me how great I am. Others believe that they can't create a ripple. Other believe, have bought the myth that they don't have any influence on anyone. Believe me, you do. You might not have an influence on many people, but you have influence. You can change people. And here's the great thing about changing the world. Go out onto your street and talk to a random stranger. It's simple to change the world. You want to know the simple... I used to do training for a charity... You know the simplest thing you can do to help someone? Is actually have a conversation with meaning by saying, Hey, how are you? And actually mean it and want their answer. And listen to their good or their bad. And if they're totally crap and having the worst day possible, that you listen and that you're compassionate. You can make a difference. The other belief we have is that it won't change anything. It won't change anything. Yeah, I could go around being serving everyone, but ultimately it's not going to mean anything. It's not going to change anything. Cash you back to the story I just told you, the Battle of Trenton. The 3,000 American troops. Each and every one of them could have went, you know what? Look, George Washington has 3,000 troops. Look, if I, I can't change anything, but look, I, I can't do anything. Look, if I leave, it's he still have 2,999. It won't be 3,000, but look, I'm not that valuable. If I leave, nothing's going to change. It doesn't work that way. Because if everyone had that attitude, then he would have had none. And then America wouldn't have existed. You play a critical role. You can change it. But never underestimate the impact that you have on others. But lastly, maybe people today don't want to be the ripples. Because maybe we're too busy taking selfies of the ripple and posting it online. That is all we care about. It's all a public appearance. Look at me. Look how great I am. I need that like. I need that that love. I need that retweet. Look at me. Look at what I did. We can change the world if we want to. question is, do we want to? Do we want to serve others? Do we want to have a sense of purpose, a sense of meaning that is bigger than ourselves? A bigger calling that is bigger than ourselves? Do we want to stand for things that are eternally true? It's not true because the Democrats say it. It's not true because the Republicans say it. It's not true because Barack Obama says it. It's not true because Donald Trump says it. It's not true because the Tea Party says it. It's true because it is eternally true. And this truth is true yesterday, it's true today, and it'll be true tomorrow, and it'll be true a hundred years from now. This is the, these are the questions we have to ask ourselves each and every day. I can't give you the answers. I can't even ask you to lean your answers a certain way. What I can do, and what I try my best to do each and every week on this show, is to present principles to you and share stories 
to try and inspire you, the American people, of how great your nation is. Of what you can be, once again. Of what other people in other countries can be. Because as much as we talk about the idea of America, the idea of America is not American. America doesn't own that idea. They are eternal truths. Ireland could take the idea of America if it really wanted it. It doesn't, sadly, but it could. English people, American people, Russian people, Chinese people, European people could all embrace these great ideas. Because they're not quintessentially American. America doesn't own them. They're eternally true. They are for all men and women. For all. Not for a race or a gender or a sexuality or an age or an education level or a location. For all. I believe in the future. I believe our future can be brighter than it ever has been in the in the past. We can have an amazing, bright, free, prosperous future. We can have that. No matter how bleak or how obvious that seems, we can have it. We can have a brighter tomorrow. But we can't and we won't if we don't act. And that is what I'm going to try and do. I'm going to try and inspire you to remind you of the country I fell in love with and to do my best to inspire you, not DC, to inspire you, that by making little changes, you can have a huge impact. I want to thank you today for tuning in. I hope you're having a beautiful and blessed Easter. I hope this show has given you plenty of things to think about, and hopefully, if I've, if I read the story right, a lot of hope, a lot of inspiration from your history, not mine, yours. We finish this show the way we finish every show, by saluting those who serve, those men and women who risk it all, who risk the potential of a personal loss for something bigger. Those are your police, your firefighters, your emergency personnel, and your vets. And lastly, like I do every week, if you've heard nothing what I just said for the last hour or so, listen to this. America is great because Americans are good. America is not great because of Donald Trump. It's not great because of the GOP or Congress. It's not great because of Democrats. It's great because of each and every one of you. Never, ever forget that. Until next week, where we'll be back, and who knows what we'll be talking about next week, but if things don't change, we'll probably be talking about Russia and foreign policy. We'll probably, if it's still relevant, we'll go into that budget bill, but we'll be talking about the issues of the day, but we'll be doing it in a principled way. The show is available for free on SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher, Omni FM, and iHeartRadio. Please share it with a family or a friend. Until next week, Saturday, 12 noon Eastern, have a beautiful and blessed week, and God bless you, America. Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on demand. The Blaze Radio Network.